This podcast is brought to you by The Empowerment Project. Research proves that empowerment self-defense training makes you safer, period. I want you to have a great self-defense toolkit so you can create strong boundaries, speak with confidence, and take up all the space that you deserve in the world. We'll hear stories from survivors and find out what worked for them and why. We'll interview leaders in the field and talk about tips, concepts, and really easy things that you could do to make yourself safer and interrupt the cycle of violence. I've taught self-defense classes for over 30 years, and I promise to teach you everything I know. Ultimately, I'm going to want you to get some in-person training, but a great empowerment self-defense class is more than just the physical skills. The list of things I want to teach you is endless, so let's get to it. My name is Sylvia Smart, and welcome to The Empowerment Project. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm excited to introduce you to Abigail. Abigail is a survivor of domestic violence and was in an abusive relationship with the same man as Pam, who we heard from in our last episode. Pam and Abigail have both agreed to tell their stories to us and give us a very unique perspective. Through the two of them, we get to see how the grooming and perpetrator strategies played out. Two women, same abuser, and so much more. Abigail is here to tell us her story, what happened, how she was manipulated, groomed, tricked into staying. She's going to point out red flags along the way and show us how her awareness grew. We're going to find out what made her finally decide to leave, and we'll get to hear the story of her escape. Our deepest hope is that by sharing her story, we can reach others who may be in a similarly dangerous and scary situation. Better yet, with prevention always in mind, that we can reach people who are right at the beginning of what could turn into an abusive relationship, and by hearing the red flags and maybe identifying with Pam or Abigail, you can get out now, early, before it turns life-threatening. So let's jump in. Let's get to it. Welcome, Abigail. Hi, thank you for having me. So glad you're here. This is huge. It's so great to have you here with me. Thank you for being here and for sharing your story. I deeply appreciate your willingness and your bravery as you share your journey with us. So thanks in advance. Of course. And first off, I'd love to hear in your own words what your hopes are in telling your story. You and I talked about this a little bit before, but I'd love for my listeners to hear it directly from you. Of course. Um, thank you. And I'm hoping that by telling my story, that other people that are in a similarly terrible situation are able to recognize it for what it is and be able to make a clean exit. Awesome. So let's dig in. Can you tell us about the beginning of your relationship, what it was like, and how it felt? Um, sure. So I... I moved in, I had, I was in my 20s, um, my mid-20s, and I had just moved into town, and I just had a fight with my parents, and we weren't speaking, and I didn't know anyone, and I was pretty much all alone. 
And as I mentioned before, I, I was from out of town. So I was the new kid on the block and I was eager to meet new people. And the city that I moved to was clear across the country. It was like 3,000 miles away from where I grew up. And I thought every place was the same. It's a, a city is a city, right? No, that's wrong. Um, the metro area where I went to um, settle myself for a little while actually has a very high probability of uh, sexual predators, which I also was not aware of. I, I didn't do my research. Um, and I, I met my perpetrator through the man I used to work for who was, I'm trying to not disclose too much information because I, I don't want people to recognize exactly who I am, but the story is more important and the signs are more important than the actual characters because there's a pattern to this. And I really, even people I don't like, I would never want them to have to go through what I went through. So he was very charming. I met him at um, a party that my boss took me to because he said, well, you know, you don't know anybody. Why don't you, you know, come with me and my wife to this party? It's, it's fine. And it sounds like fun. Okay, so I'll go. And I, I meet him there and he's very charming and all smiles and, you know, just swept me right off my feet. One of those too good to be true moments. And I kept having this feeling in my gut of, you know, this is too good to be true. This is, this is very strange. And, you know, he's older than me and it just seemed like a very unlikely um, candidate for me to pick out for, you know, someone that I would date. But I kept trying to justify to myself like, oh, well, he's got his own business and he's, you know, got his own place and he seems really settled and, you know, has his act together. And I really need someone like that because, you know, eventually I'd like to settle down. So he seemed like a really good prospect. But again, in my gut, I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on what it was. I want to just jump in here because this is something that comes up over and over and over again in my self-defense classes, Abigail, that people who are assaulted have a really funny feeling something's wrong and then don't understand it or it doesn't quite match with what they think is happening. And so they keep going. But what you're talking about, that's exactly what happens. So your gut is telling you like, hmm. Exactly. My gut was telling me, this isn't really the right guy for you. Um, you should go, you know, talk to somebody else. But he was so charming and he was really dominating in my time. And I thought it was just, you know, like, like I said, I was a new person in town. So I was kind of craving attention. And in retrospect, I, I feel that he knew that. And he was purposefully um, using that against me because I have a big heart and I'm very empathetic and I was brought up to be very polite. And I was worried about his feelings of all things. And I didn't want to reject him or be or appear to be ungrateful for the attention. And I was bored. Well, that makes sense because you just moved here and you have no other friends. So you're like, well, this is entertaining. <laughs> right. Right. 
And, you know, I, I wasn't speaking to my parents at the time. And, you know, I mean, we made up, it, it ended up being fine. But just in that moment, when I met him, I had left my um, longtime boyfriend from college and I had moved. And, you know, he, he kind of fit the, the things that we're told as, as women that we need to go out and find these things in a man. Like, oh, he has his job, he's got his own business, he has his own place, he, you know, like has his own transportation and like, you know, he seems like a charming guy, he has friends that, you know, seem like they like him and, you know, all these things. But like I said, the whole time I was having to tell my gut to be quiet which sounds really weird, but it turned out my gut was right. Well, it also makes sense because another thing that we talk about in, in self-defense classes, empowerment self-defense classes all the time is socialization and how we're often socialized to take other people's emotions and feelings into account more than our own. But the other thing I would say is you had some vulnerabilities that he was exploiting. Yes. And in retrospect, I, I see that now, but at the time I didn't, I didn't realize it because like I said, I was bored. Um, I didn't have any, you know, family in the area and the family I had, we weren't speaking. And I had just come out of a, a long relationship that I, you know, it was, it was a long relationship. And so I was kind of down in the dumps. I was a little depressed. Right. And, you know, ordinarily I might not have gone for this guy, but he, he smelled an opportunity because in my mind, the way people like him operate, they're actually predators. Right. They're seeking out someone who's vulnerable and nice and won't tell them no. Exactly. And they, they know what those vulnerabilities are. They exploit them and they select specific people. So sounds like things were really wonderful at the beginning. It felt good to you, even though you were having these concerns, but you were feeling like this is great. I'm not lonely anymore. I, you know. Well, yeah, he, he showered, you know, all these gifts and expensive dinners and you know, took me all kinds of places. And, you know, after six months, he actually proposed marriage. And I said no. And he was surprised. And then um, shortly around that time, I also found out that I was pregnant. And I ended up miscarrying, which I didn't realize at the time that a lot of, you know, 25% of first pregnancies for many women end up not taking but I didn't know that. I was devastated. I, w I got really depressed after that. And I feel like he exploited that too. And every time I wanted to go take a trip to go see my family or go see longtime friends, there was always a really great excuse about why I couldn't go. So he was also isolating you from family and friends. Yes. And at first, he, you know, after the miscarriage happened, he was like, oh, well, you don't have to get another job. Why don't you just, you know, let me take care of you? And he was being so nice and charming and sweet to me. And, 
you know, little did I know at the same time, he was going behind my back and telling um, mutual friends of ours how um, vulnerable I was and how, um, how I had a very weak constitution and how, you know, he was worried about my mental state and all kinds of things like this. So that later on, um, he would be able to come back to that and tell people, see, she's crazy. I'm right. And you can't believe a word that she says. And that's how people like him work. Right. There's so much manipulation going on, not just with you, but with others, so that the picture is painted according to what he wants everyone to think. Yes. And it was perfect because I, I came in from out of town and nobody knew me before I started hanging out with him. So it was very easy for him to be able to paint this picture about how I'm this fragile little psychotic person, wow. which I most definitely am not. I have been tested and I am bona fide not crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I can certify that. <laughs> Bonafide, not crazy, absolutely not. I have a report. <laughs> <laughs> um, for my listeners, I want to just remind us all to take a deep breath because sometimes these stories, bits of these stories might hit in a way, maybe something sounds familiar or uncomfortable brings up some anxiety, some adrenaline. I want us all to just take a deep breath before we go on. So thank you for sharing those pieces of your story. It sounds like so you get pregnant, you have this miscarriage, he's telling misinformation to people who could have potentially been your support system um, and just controlling the story. Um, so then, then what happens? What are, what are some other things that happened along the way? What are some of the ways that you felt? What are some of the red flags that you continued to see? Um, so it continued further. Like it, it was a gradual, I feel like it was, excuse me, most likely a game for him where he gradually would alternate praise with um, later on, he would, you know, give me a gift or take us on vacation, and then he would hold it over my head if I said anything that he didn't like or he was in a bad mood. Um, I want to also say that he had a substance abuse pro uh, problem, and he would go on these binges and then come home and just, you know, go to sleep on the couch or wherever he passed out. And then go into these rages afterwards and then, you know, give me attention that I didn't want and just, you know, kind of be a monster. Then he would apologize and then pour, you know, lots of gifts on me and do this like wacky pattern that made me feel really disoriented. And again, with the every time I would want to go see family or friends that were far away, um, he always had a really great excuse about why there wasn't enough money for me to go do that, but we could go on these very expensive excursions and invite friends and tell them that they didn't have to pay for anything and that he would pay for everything. 
and you know just cycling like that further and further down the rabbit hole if you will well and what you're talking about is is also one of these typical components of uh, an abusive relationship or signs of someone who is abusive or a perpetrator is this sort of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing where it's just like you can't keep track and you don't know when you come home if it's going to be Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. So you find yourself walking on eggshells. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. And again, if there's anything I'm asking that is uncomfortable, please don't, um, don't, don't feel like you have to answer, but are there, are there physical things going on? Are there holes being punched in walls or things flying through the air or? Well, that didn't start happening more in depth until, um, I got pregnant again and this time I had the baby. And then after our son was probably, I mean, I'll just say this much. I got a big wake-up call after the baby was born because he did not help pretty much at all. He bought a bunch of stuff and then would leave for long periods of time. And I'm at home with an infant in diapers, and I've never had a child before. And I was up all night with him and, you know, all these things, and he never really you know, lifted much of a finger. And if I said as much, then he would start, you know, like having a big tantrum and talk about how I was ungrateful and that, you know, he did everything for me, which is a great position for him to be in because I felt like it was partly true what he was saying, but I thought I was under the impression that we were supposed to be starting a family and he is going to be my husband and I was still under this illusion somehow that all he needed was more love and he could turn himself around but we all know that that's not really what happened and then after like I said you were asking about more violent things it was after that you know like the first three months that the baby you know what they call the the fourth trimester it was after that where I like to say that his head flipped around and he started spitting pea soup And I knew then that I couldn't stay with him any longer because I was just thinking to myself, like, who is this person? Like, this guy is is crazy. I have to leave him. And I even went so far as to try to make plans to figure out how to leave him when our son was about a year old. And then all of a sudden, I figured out I was pregnant again with our second child. So... One another strategy that abusers have, and Pam was telling us a little bit about this control over your body, control over your contraception. Was that happening? Yeah. So there was, you know, like I I didn't want, you know, this sort of physical attention from him, if you will. And but I would, you know, sometimes wake up and there he'd be like on top of me, like, oh, this is great, you know. And so that's, that went on for a long time. And then other times, you know, he would be like, like I said, it was Jekyll, Jekyll and Hyde type thing. That was your wording, but it's very, very typical of his behavior. And sometimes he would get so angry if I locked the door, for example. Um, He literally ripped the back door off of the back of the house because he was so pissed. 
that I locked the front door because he didn't feel like carrying his keys around. And how dare I, you know, <laughs> lock the door when I'm at home with a baby and I'm pregnant. I don't know. Yeah, come on. What are you thinking? <laughs> God. So you've got this baby and then you f- you're like planning to leave and then you find out you're pregnant. Yes. And then I think, great, now I'm stuck until I have this second baby because by the time I figured out I was pregnant, it was, you know, it was too late to do any other sort of preventative measures. And, and I do love, I always did want to have two children anyway, so I didn't really think too hard about, you know, trying to end the pregnancy or anything. I don't, I, I didn't think of that as an option, although some people might, and, and that's, that's fine for them. Um, but I love my kids, and they're, they're beautiful people, and I feel like that's, those are the brightest things that happened in my life from that time. I'm grateful to, to God for giving me them out of the darkness that I was sitting in with everything that I was dealing with. So how, how does that go for you while you're pregnant? Are things calmer? No, I was stressed out all the time. There even happened a time where, um, and see, he was so crafty in the way that he conducted himself, but I'm fairly certain that he wasn't careful with our son being a toddler at the time and knocked him down the stairs. And I was pregnant, and I couldn't dive after him because I would have hurt the baby that was in my belt. Wow. And luckily, toddlers are very resilient, and their bones aren't very hard. So um, he was okay. And I took Mm. him to the doctor, and and he was fine. He was just shook up and bruised up, but he was okay. Deep breath, everybody. And I knew at that moment that anyone that would behave that way to a child was not going to ever be able to be turned around, um, no matter how much love you poured on them. It it wouldn't matter. So you're getting clearer and clearer and clearer, and here you are still pregnant. Yes. And the baby was fine, and, you know, the toddler was fine, like I said. So those were all good things. Um, but I, I watched over them like a hawk, and I, I protected them when there were fits or tantrums or things flying through the air. Right. So you're protecting yourself and these two beings. Yes. And I just, I was so... I'd been so isolated um, in retrospect from all kinds of other people and friends and everything that I didn't think that I could leave at that point. I felt too vulnerable. It wasn't until the youngest one was um, about a year old where I started being able to plot my way out. And around that time is when I contacted Pam. I found, I knew her name because um, envelopes from child support would show up at the house. 
and it would show up and say that he hadn't been paying. And I would show them to him and tell him that, look, you need to pay your child support to her because it's, you know, you owe this and you have this child and it doesn't matter if you don't see them. It's, you know, it's the right thing to do. And so he would write checks for a little while, but only while I made him. So you're, um, you're already thinking like, how do I get out of here? And you know the name of the person before you who did get out of there. Yes. So tell us about that. Well, um, thank you for asking. I started searching for her on the internet, trying to find out, um, because I I looked up the address and it was like a P.O. box or something that's part of the um, Department of Human Services. And so I said, okay, well, I can't find her that way. I was just going to show up at her house and say, hey, I hope you don't think I'm crazy, but here's what's going on. And I finally found a phone number um, that she later told me that she kind of put up hoping that I would find it and call her. And so it took me a long time to get up the guts, but I, I, found, I found her and I called her. And the first thing she said when I called her and she picks up the phone and I told her who I was and she says, I'm so glad you called. I've been waiting for you to call me for years. Oh, golly. And I burst into tears and, you know, she told me her story and I was appalled and relieved at the same time because her story validated me and told me that I was not crazy and that I needed to get out and that the way that I needed to get out would have to be very subtle and that it couldn't it would have to be at a time where the perpetrator, um, he occasionally took out-of-town business trips. And so I knew about them ahead of time. And a lot of times on his business trips, he was out there um, cheating on me, and I knew it. But at that point, I was happy for him to be occupied. Right, you were like, I don't care. I'm not focused on me. (laughs) Right. And so I finally figured out a time where he was going to be on a long business trip. And I, I got out. I, I had the kids stay um, at a friend's house. And they stayed there for all weekend. And a friend of mine and I moved everything out in 72 hours. We didn't sleep. We left stuff there. It was a little bit of a mess. But we got everything that was important to the children and myself out of that house. And most importantly, we got ourselves out without having any sort of confrontation because with the type of person that he is, it wouldn't have been good. Because like I said, Pam told me her story and I was very scared. And I knew that it would be at least that level of violence or more that he could possibly try to kill me. Exactly. And then the children would be left with him and he's a monster and they'd be a mess. And I couldn't, I couldn't have that. So you said something really interesting to me the other day. And so did Pam that surprised me when we were talking, the three of us on the phone, you said, you both said that you never considered calling a hotline. 
And I was like, what? It just surprised me. Can you tell us about that? I feel like it's really important for people to hear this piece of your story. Well, I never considered calling a hotline because I think for several reasons. I think one of the reasons mostly that I didn't consider calling a hotline is because my confidence was so wrecked. I didn't think that my emergency was important enough to call a hotline about. I was so, I was such a wreck. I, I didn't think my, that I was important enough, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And I felt like I, I wouldn't be believed because my reputation had been smeared so bad that people that I thought would support me and believe what was happening and believe what I told them had happened in that house um, didn't believe me, that they had been um, persuaded for so long that I was the crazy one, that when the time for action came, they were unwilling or unable to help me at all and even turned against me because of him and things that he was doing and saying, such as using um, this program that it's on the black market. And the only thing I know about it, and maybe people that have any ties with computer programmers might be able to verify this, but there are programs that you can buy on the black market where you can send text messages to people and mask where you're sending them from and make it look like it originates from someone else's number, whomever you type in. And that's what he was doing to people and sending these crappy messages to people that were people that I thought were my friends. And it turns out that they really weren't because they were turned against me. Right. Very crafty, very tech savvy, very manipulative behaviors, which isolated you all the more than you already were. Absolutely. I think he was hoping I would crack and come crawling on my hands and knees back to him or something, but I am not that kind of person. Right. I mean, clearly you're strong, you're resilient, you're brave, you've got guts, clearly. So um, I'm wondering, as we kind of wrap up... um, What else about your journey do you feel it's important to share? Is there anything we haven't touched on yet that you want other people to know, whether about your story and how it played out or other red flags that you want to warn people about or things that surprised you that you didn't expect or just anything that could be helpful for other people to hear? Um, Sure. So we've only touched mildly on the level of crazy that I was dealing with. There's other really more sinister elements that you and I can talk about at another time if if you'd like. Um, I feel like some of the details are so sinister that I'd have to maybe talk to you about disguising some of the, you know, identities and, and things about it because I don't want to 
I don't want to have um, a positive idea on myself. But to answer your question, um, things that really stood out to me in retrospect years later, um, I didn't trust my gut about this guy. And he seemed like he was too good to be true because he was. And he proposed to me and tried to lock me in and get me trapped within six months of our relationship. And I've spoken to others that have been in relationships with these types of personalities. And that's a common thing that they do. Within about six months, they try to lock you into something that's semi-permanent, if not permanent. The other thing is that they really manipulate your time and your friends, and they try to isolate you from the world. And they try to control all the outside stimuli, and they try to tell you who you are. And it's all lies. And if you listen to yourself, then you'll know what time it is. It's, a, it's an interplay of manipulation and shame and humiliation and control. It's just a, a very strong weave that's hard to see your way through. I love what you're saying, that your gut knows. Your gut you trust. Yes. And it comes back to what you were saying earlier that society, and I feel like especially women, are conditioned to be told that they need to be polite and they need to yield to whatever the man says and that they need to do these things and they're expected to do X, Y, Z. But when it comes down to it, if doing X, Y, Z puts you in danger and makes you feel weird and makes you feel like you're not being yourself and that you're not doing the right thing, maybe you should listen to that. Because I didn't listen to my gut and I got myself in a really bad jam, but I got out. And when you and I talk with Pam, we're going to find out more about what it's like on the other side. Now that you're out, what are some issues? What are some of the legal issues? What are some of the social issues? What are some of the emotional issues? And how, once you got to safety, can you stay that way? And what does that take? So for sure, we're going to have that talk with the three of us. And then I know there were some really sinister things that were going on, and I would be happy to maybe think through with you how we let people know about that without compromising your safety. Okay. I'd be happy to. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Um, yes. Don't be afraid to talk to an old friend. Call people. Tell them how you're feeling and ask them for their honest opinion. Because sometimes even close friends and family feel like they can't tell you what they're seeing because they don't feel like you'll listen because that old saying, love is blind, they, they're afraid of being rejected themselves for telling you what they see. And this is so true in self-defense in general that 
communication and telling is one of the hugest strategies for us to get safe. Talking with people, telling our stories, sharing what we notice, how we're feeling, being honest with other people. And it's great advice, Abigail, for anyone who's feeling like, huh, some of this sounds familiar. This makes me really uncomfortable. Start talking. Start sharing. Yes, absolutely. With safe people, though, right? Like with safe people. Old friends, family, people, you know, somebody that you trust, even if you haven't talked to them in like two or three years and you still have their phone number, call them. Call them and ask them if you can, you know, have a candid conversation for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, however much time you have alone. Right. So the call is coming from a safe place, too. Absolutely. You're not going to be overheard. You're not going to be interrupted. No one's listening in. Right. Right. If you have to go buy, I don't know, there's no Radio Shack anymore, but I guess you can buy things at the grocery store that are kind of like a Radio Shack burner phone where you, you know, like a track phone or something. If you have to get one of those to call an old friend, then do it. Buy cash. Nothing is more important than your safety. That's right. Period. That phone call could literally save your life. Yeah. And my phone call with Pam saved my life. Well, Abigail, it has been an honor to talk with you. I I can't say enough how valuable it is to my listeners to hear your story, what happened, the red flags, how you made your way through it, how you got out. Just sharing your story is such an act of bravery and courage. And thank you so much for sharing it. You're so welcome. I hope I hope other people can be helped by this. And, you know, even though I am a woman and I had this relationship with a man, it can happen in reverse, too. And it can happen, you know, with all kinds of different partners. It's, you know, abuse isn't just something that happens in a heterosexual relationship. It can happen to anyone. Absolutely. Um, We've talked about that in my podcast before. It just, abuse knows no stereotype. No, it doesn't have a color or a gender. It just, it happens and it's terrible. Abuse is abuse. Agreed. It's affirmation time. This is how I end every self-defense class. It's kind of cheesy, but it's very cool, and this is how it works. We're going to do like a little call and response. If you can say this out loud, if you can repeat after me, do it, because it's important, I think, for you to hear your own voice. But if you can't, like if you're on a crowded subway or someplace where it's embarrassing, don't worry. You can also just say it inside your head. Okay, so I'm going to say something and you're going to repeat it after me. I'm going to give you space to do that. And at the end, we're going to say yes. Here we go. Repeat after me. I am worth protecting. I love myself. I belong. I deserve to take up space on planet Earth. 
I am a strong and powerful person. Yes! Woohoo! And hey, as a wrap up, will you do me a favor? Will you do all the things that you do when there's a podcast? Like, will you tell your friends? Will you subscribe? Will you come back each week? Communicate with me? Review this podcast? Like, all those things to help get more bandwidth, help more people find out about it. That would be super awesome. Take a deep breath. You are amazing. Thank you for being with me. See you next time. Mm -hmm.